0: With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal.
1: Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agricultural news with me today. Low yields for wine grapes revealed in the preliminary Grape Crush report. California wine grape growers last year harvested their smallest crop of any year within the last decade. That's according to the California Department of Food and Agriculture's preliminary Grape Crush Report. It's an annual benchmark for the wine grape and bulk wine sector. The third consecutive low-harvest year isn't necessarily bad news, though. The demand for wine has stagnated in recent years, and the smaller-than-average yields have helped keep inventory low and prices high. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report, and now let's get into today's show headlines. Autonomy fitting in with the future of agriculture. Burrow by Bitwise Agronomy is an autonomous crop scouting technology. This technology was one of the top 10 new product winners at the World Expo 2023. Charlie Anderson, the CEO of Burrow, says he sees autonomy fitting right in with the future of the industry.
2: I think that uh, agriculture has the most potential for adopting autonomy today. There's a severe need for it. And at the same time, it's very, very difficult to do well. And so I think that things are gonna begin with with platforms like ours, which are collaborative. They're helping people work more productively. They're understanding more and more about what's taking place. And over time, they do bit by bit by bit more as they learn more and more about the space. And so we're kind of like digital cameras in 1992. It's low resolution, (laughs) it's not very good. You push the shutter and it makes its mind up on what's gonna do, you know, it's it's evolving. And a decade from now, then it's gonna be an entirely new world. Robots moving through the world, perceiving things around them, manipulating a whole host of different things, and increasingly replacing what people no longer want to do.
1: Stay tuned as we'll have more on this topic in the coming shows. But for right now, here's back-to-back agricultural reports with Agnet West, Brian German.
3: The water blueprint for the San Joaquin Valley has suggested a new conveyance system to support communities in the southern part of the valley. Jeff Bannon-Huvel with the California Milk Producers Council, which is a member organization of the Blueprint, said the construction of a new bi-directional canal could serve multiple purposes.
4: If you think about a conveyance structure that would start you know, somewhere around Kettleman City, generally in that area, the California Aqueduct, then come east uh, around the bottom of Tulare Lake and then up through, I'll you know, say around Highway 43. And there's a couple of wildlife refuges that desperately could use some additional water. There's disadvantaged communities that are really impacted by groundwater depletion that could be served. And there's a whole lot of opportunity for recharge. So the whole idea then is to essentially bring the surplus water in for environmental, community, and recharge purposes. And then with bi bidirectional, what that means is you can move water both ways in the conveyance we think that this is a great location for significant water banking
3: almond bloom kicked off after the series of atmospheric river events and the cold weather that followed vice president of member relations for blue diamond mel machado said it's been a unique year but bloom is progressing Now there's just some questions surrounding the current storm systems.
5: Predominantly what we're seeing is the buds are all grouped together. Overlap looks good with an individual orchards. There's a wide disparity from orchard to orchard, even in the same variety. But with the buds being grouped together, it's moving fairly rapidly. You'll have 90% in green tip. The next day they're 90% in pink tip. So it's just moving very quickly and pest control advisors I'm talking to being concerned about what do they need to do to protect the bloom. Quite frankly, it's been too cold for really fungal development to get going. It won't get going while it's raining. And the forecast is for continued cold after the rainstorm. So a lot of guys that I know of are planning on getting some spray material on before the rain have stopped figuring, well, it's not really conducive to fungal organisms. Let's just wait until the rain stops. I'm Brian
3: German for AgNet West Radio Network.
1: Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of today's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at Statewide Agriculture News at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
0: Farm employers' labor service compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with FELS posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated, weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net.
1: Welcome back to the AgNet News Hour by AgNet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's national
6: spotlight. In today's national spotlight, the USDA's annual Ag Outlook Forum continues today in Virginia. It started yesterday. During his opening remarks Thursday, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack talked about the current financial situation of many farmers around the
4: nation. Fast forward to the recent time a set of challenges that agriculture faced. First, COVID and the impact it had on our overall economy. Then a year ago, Russia, without justification, unprovoked, invaded Ukraine and roiled the supply chain, causing increased input costs for farmers. And, of course, we deal on a constant basis with the challenge of climate, mega droughts, wildfires, fierce storms. What we learned from this experience of these these challenges was that American agriculture was extraordinarily efficient, and our food system was amazingly efficient, but it wasn't as resilient as we needed to be. We rebounded from all of these conflicts and challenges, and over the last two years, we've enjoyed record farm income. And I think Seth's report today suggests that maybe uh, we won't set a record this year, but we'll have income that is better than the average, better than the historical average. In fact, the last couple of years have beat the historical average by as much as 50 percent. Record income. And as I've said to many audiences, usually a secretary of agriculture, after saying that, would leave the stage. You all would applaud. Uh, And that would be the end of my comments. But, but here's the reality, the question is who benefited from that record? We know that nearly 50% of our farmers over the course of the last several years, according to ERS, have had negative farm income. They didn't make money from their farming operation. We know that nearly another 40% of our farmers made money, but the majority of what they made for their family didn't come from farming. It came from off-farm income. So while we had record income, those large commercial-sized operations did very, very well. And they should, because they've invested a lot of time and energy in producing an extraordinary crop. But the other 90% or so struggled. So that's why I think we're at a pivotal moment I think we have to ask ourselves a, a serious question about whether we want a system that continues to see further consolidation and the impact that that has on farmers and on rural communities, or whether we're innovative enough to figure out a new way, a different way, an expanded opportunity, so that when we have record income, it's shared not by a few, but by many and most.
6: He also talked about the importance of the agricultural workforce. Uh,
4: The reality is when COVID hit, we got a wake-up call about farm workers, and we deemed them essential employees. Uh, And the pandemic put a spotlight on the importance of this workforce in terms of agriculture. Uh, The pandemic highlighted the challenges of labor instability, the challenges of irregular migration, and the need for increased labor protections. And all of these challenges need to be addressed in order to increase the resiliency of our food system and supply chain.
6: Secretary Vilsack moderated a panel on ag labor. We will have more on that in Monday's program. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson, FragNet West.
1: Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman.
5: Well, in today's Livestock News, federal, state, and pork industry organizations are continuing joint efforts to keep African swine fever out of our country. According to a story from Rod Bain, it's all through a newly announced partnership. While collaboration
7: between federal, state, and pork industry entities remains vital in prevention and preparedness efforts against African swine fever.
2: We work on policy together. We sit down with them, we talk about those policies, we talk about what they can expect, both the producers from the swine industry and the states, and how we can work together on what needs to be done.
7: A new partnership has been announced. USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service Associate Administrator Jack Shear is among those participating in this new partnership between USDA, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, the National Pork Board, and National Pork Producers Council. Enhanced coordination and information sharing among the four entities is designed to improve response efforts in keeping African swine fever out of our country, and preparation in the
5: event an outbreak
7: occurs. I'm Rod Bade reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
5: Thanks, Rod. An Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service Associate Administrator Jack Shear shares some of the federal state pork industry partnerships in play in the African swine fever prevention and preparedness efforts.
2: States do extensive outreach through their animal health regulators, and we work in tandem in almost every state in the United States. We have people that are in the field. They have people that are in the field working on this on a daily basis. We work on policy together. We have a gap analysis from the APHIS Technical Working Group. They've worked over two years on looking at what our response would look like and where we have gaps, and we're addressing those both with the industry and with the states to say, these are the holes we need to plug because we have serious concerns that this would hamper our ability to respond. So that partnership, and we call it a three-legged stool, between the states, the industry, and the federal government is extremely important because no one entity can do this alone. We have to work together. That's the only way we're going to battle this disease.
5: Again, that was Jack Shear with the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. And the Food and Drug Administration on Wednesday announced draft recommendations and the naming of plant-based foods that are marketed and sold as alternatives to milk. The guidance recommends that an alternative milk product that includes the term milk and has a nutrient composition different than milk include a voluntary nutrient statement that conveys how the product compares with milk. Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers' Federation, said the announcement is a step towards labeling integrity for consumers of dairy products, though Mulhern says the guidance falls short of ending the decades-old problem of misleading plant-based labeling using dairy terminology. Senate Democrat Tammy Baldwin and Republican Jim Risch announced their intention to reintroduce the Dairy Pride Act. That would require the FDA to issue guidance for nationwide enforcement of mislabeled plant-based products within 90 days of implementation. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West.
1: This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news, at a different time you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
8: What GMO crops are grown and sold in the U.S.? Well, there's corn, like me, soybeans, canola, sugar beets, and cotton. Typically, we're ingredients in certain foods. GMO alfalfa, corn, soybeans, canola, and cotton are used as animal food. And while you won't find many GMOs in the produce section, there are versions of GMO apple, summer squash, potato, and papaya in a few markets. Feed your mind with more GMO knowledge on FDA's website.
1: You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now.
6: And the survey says we're planning to pay more for groceries. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. A new survey finds consumers expect to pay more for groceries this year. Progressive Grocer reports the 2023 KPMG Winter Consumer Pulse survey shows consumers anticipate increased prices but are looking for ways to save money. The survey shows consumers expect a 15% increase in grocery spending this year. Meanwhile, 56% of consumers plan to spend more on groceries this year, while 9% plan to spend less. Consumers cite inflation, an increased tendency to eat at home, larger household sizes, and dietary changes as reasons for spending changes. KMPG research also finds 38% of consumers plan to pay more for restaurant meals this year, a 2% increase from last year. However, 35% of consumers say they plan to spend less on purchases made online this year. Yet nearly half of the respondents reported an average increase in household income of 15%. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West.
8: This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McGowan. Most farm leases are oral. While that may be convenient, it does increase the likelihood that legal issues will occur between the landlord and the tenant. A recent case illustrates one problem that can arise without a written farm lease. I'll be back in a moment to discuss. Kansas State University
9: consistently ranks in the top 10 of all ag schools. 97% of K-State ag graduates are employed or furthering their education. Learn more at
8: ag.ksu.edu. I'll get back to the report in a moment, but I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm and ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit schraderauction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R auction.com. A recent court decision demonstrates the possible peril of not putting that farm lease in writing. In the case, Dad owned a large farm but lived out of state. His son lived on and managed the farm. The son would get the neighbor to cut a 107-acre hay field when it was needed, and they would split the bales after harvest. It was just a verbal arrangement. After a couple of years, the neighbor wrote out a document stating that he had a five-year hay lease, had the son sign it, and filed it with the local FSA office. The son understood that the document was just so that the neighbor could get the government payments on the hay ground. Shortly thereafter, the father was approached with a deal to put solar panels on the field, and the neighbor was told the hay wouldn't need to be cut anymore. The neighbor sued for breach of a lease. The court disagreed. The writing didn't have the basic terms of a lease contract. It was just a document stating that he had a lease, but there wasn't any written lease agreement, and the son gave credible testimony that he never even entered into an oral lease with the neighbor. It was merely an agreement to cut hay. Take the time to put your lease arrangements in writing to reduce your legal risk. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen.
10: If you are one of almost 3 million farmers who received a census of agriculture questionnaire in the mail last fall and you didn't respond by the February 6th deadline, don't give it up. You've still got time. We have extended the deadline. Donald Bice with USDA statistics service helps run the census of ag, which takes place every five years. And he told us that they will be accepting census questionnaires now on through the spring. Because it's just that important to to make sure that that every farmer is represented in our data collection. And he said he realizes that the forms and questionnaires in many cases arrived in farmers' mailboxes during the holidays may have gotten lost or uh, put aside during that busy time.
11: We also want to make sure that we're, you know, being accommodating to those individuals that want extension because of uh, getting their, their tax information organized.
10: And he says giving extra time on this is not because producer responses have been unusually slow. In fact,
11: we're generally pleased with the response so far.
10: As of last week, USDA had gotten in over a million responses, which is very good. And he gives credit to the fact that more farmers are going online to respond to the census, which by says is the best way to go.
11: So we put a lot of emphasis on creating an online instrument that is quicker, secure, all those facets that make reporting easy.
10: The folks collecting the data for the census sometimes hear from very small producers who think their responses don't really matter one way or the other, but Donald Weiss says actually it's just the opposite.
11: We do send out questionnaires to people with ag potential. So even if you don't farm or you think you just have a hobby farm, it's still important
10: to be represented. Indeed, he says all responses count because lawmakers will use the data from the census in crafting the farm bill and other legislation. And also because it is
11: down to the county level, it is used widely for a lot of USDA uh, programs to make sure that uh, the program is effective, and then also to do additional funding. And and where that funding is, um, that's where the geographic level comes to to be very important.
10: Vice says the data plays an especially important role in dealing with natural disasters.
11: When those disasters hit, they look for baseline data to assess impact. And for agriculture, the baseline data is the census of agriculture. So then it can be used to to make sure that farmers are compensated for those disasters.
10: So Bai says it's important for each producer to respond to the census, and he thanks all producers ahead of time. USDA will be sending out more reminders and questionnaires during March and April. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
1: This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
0: Farm employers' labor service compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with FELS posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated, weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net.
2: Welcome
1: back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments.
9: A month ago, Wall Street traders gave about a 1% chance that the Fed would raise interest rates more than 25 basis points at their next meeting. Yesterday, a new survey shows traders now see a 27% chance of the 50 basis point move and a more than 60% chance that rate hikes will continue deeper into summer before a pause takes place. Now, at 27%, that still leaves a 73% chance of just a quarter point rise, which most expect next month. Corporate earnings have generally been positive, but as one analyst points out, people are slow to invest now until there's more clarity of the economy. Is it going to be a soft landing or a hard landing once rate hikes are done? Elsewhere, April crude oil near the bottom end of a range just above 72 dollars 5 That's back from February the 6th. So we'll look for a rebound back above $78 here early next week. AgriLiquid will be at Commodity Classic next month in Orlando. Booth number 2749. If you're going to Commodity Classic, learn more about what it means when they say, apply less, but expect more. This is the bottom line report. Hard to imagine April live cattle continuing to set new contract highs here the week ahead. Look for 164.40, a good support level though on the downside. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day and a profitable week ahead.
1: And in more agriculture news, the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance released its Farm Bill priorities earlier this week. Michael Clements shares the details in this next report.
12: The Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance's 2023 Farm Bill policy recommendations offer voluntary bipartisan climate solutions. The American Farm Bureau Federation is a founding member of the alliance, which includes a diverse group of more than 80 organizations. AFBF Senior Government Affairs Director Andrew Walmsley says the recommendations focus on a few key priorities.
13: The most important of which are voluntary and incentive-based, advanced science-based outcomes, promote resilience of rural communities, ensure all farmers have the ability to participate, and are strongly bipartisan. Over 100 recommendations are being made. They focus around conservation, energy, food waste, forestry, livestock, and dairy. And research, extension, and innovation.
12: Walmsley says the recommendations are supportive of conservation programs in the Farm Bill.
13: When you look over the last few years, those conservation programs have helped farmers and ranchers voluntarily enroll over 140 million acres. And so while not all the recommendations are focused on funding, a lot of them are trying to improve existing programs or improving processes at USDA that makes it easier for farmers and ranchers to help implement climate smart practices and, of course, treats farmers and ranchers as partners going forward in this endeavor.
12: Walmsley says the recommendations can help Congress shape Farm Bill programs.
13: These recommendations are a menu of options for Congress to look at with a broad base of support that helps farmers and ranchers continue to be great stewards of our natural resources.
12: Find the full list of recommendations at agclimatealliance.com. Michael Clements, Washington.
10: Do you like fishing?
7: Well now take down your fishing pole and meet
14: me at the fishing hole.
10: Ah, but we're not talking about fishing, F-I-S-H-I-N-G. Today, a more sinister fishing activity, fishing spelled
15: P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. And while it's spelled differently than the type of fishing we might do in our lake or our local pond, it's a similar tactic. The goal is to catch someone off guard and get the information or the resources that they want.
10: Lure them with a little bait. That's Kansas State University Extension educator Barbara Stockerbrand. And yes, in this case, the people doing the fishing are scammers. We are the fish. Fishing hole, usually our email or text on our computer or phone, sometimes phone calls and even our regular mail. Those scammers are out to lure us fish into giving them our personal information or straight out our money under totally false pretenses. They do this using all sorts of social engineering tactics that are designed to get us to do what they want. To tell them some personal information or maybe click on an email attachment or click on a link to a website. The techniques vary on this. For example, one hook, one bait that the scammers use to lure us fish is sending a text or email or a phone call saying this is your lucky day!
15: You want me? A big trip, but there's always a catch. There are fees involved that have to be paid in order to collect your prize. If they call, they act
10: very excited for you, and they want to make sure you get what's coming to you, and it's
15: very, very exciting. And after all... The amount of money they are offering may be very large, so small fees seem kind of trivial in comparison to maybe what they are promising you.
10: And part of the technique here is to tell you...
15: It's urgent that you act quickly... To claim your prize, so you don't have time to think about it.
10: So that appeals to our possible hunger for money and prizes. And in the excitement, we send money or give them our credit or debit card number, or most times they want us to wire the money. Quick
15: transaction, it's likely not traceable, and the money is gone.
10: These crooks sometimes are aware of our particular emotional weak spots. For
15: example, having lost a loved one and being named as a survivor in an obituary or maybe a post on social media for a loss of a loved one.
10: That's something the scammer can exploit. Or, and I've gotten these calls where they say, I'm about to be arrested for drug smuggling and I should call the FBI or some agency to clear up the matter. Uh, That's scary. And Barbara says that's what the scammers are counting on because they know.
15: When people get scared, they often don't think straight.
10: Or another technique the scammers use is to play on people's compassion and pretend to be a charity that needs our help right away. Now, Barbara says, whatever we do, don't give out personal information to people or organizations that we don't know. Don't send money spur of the moment. And next time, more scams, more advice on how to handle them. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
1: This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search AgNet News Hour or AgNet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's AgNet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now.
3: In today's Almond Matters segment, we're joined by Todd Burkdoll, Field Market Development Specialist with Valent USA. And now, Todd, we're here towards the latter part of February, and bloom is here. And so, number one, let's get into how bloom has been progressing and uh, what growers will be thinking about with rain in the forecast.
14: Yeah, Brian, it's been, you know, relatively cold, cold nights, uh, some frost mornings for the last week or so early in the morning, which has kind of slowed bloom down. It started, you know, about 10 days ago with the first flowers down in the southern part of the valley. But things are progressing over the weekend. We had some nice, you know, 60, mid-60s, a couple of maybe certain areas was in the 70s. And so that made things pop. Some of the earlier varieties, I just looked at some independents that were basically a full bloom and some of the other varieties are a little bit behind but by next week you know we're, we should be well into petal fall on some of the earlier varieties and then full bloom on the others but with that uh, we've got some rain coming in it's supposed to be a cold storm i talked to a friend of mine up in the north part of the state this morning sacramento valley and he said they were expecting potentially snow so i you know uh that's cold but Regardless, the weather's going to change. It's going to be cold and wet. The disease problem is usually pretty stifled by cold weather. Bigger potential would be frost damage. And then as we get into petal fall, you know, if we don't get any freeze damage from this after the rain, typically it doesn't rain. You don't get freeze during the rain, but after the rain, if it still stays cold, that can be problematic. You know, it's not, not really anything we can do about it, you know, hope and pray. The um, petal fall issue, you know, it's a good time to start thinking about other pests that might pop up. I saw a green stink bug. I just stopped and looked at some independents here north of Iselia, and green stink bug was, uh, uh, I saw a couple of them. And so they, they're out, and the warmer weather has brought them out. Cold weather is going to stifle them, but the warmer weather brought them out. But peach twig borer is going to be a problem after petal fall. That's when typically we would target that one, as well as disease if the weather warm, does warm up. It does become conducive to disease with the moisture fungicide need to be put into the program uh, sooner than later. You know, I put this out there, a dipel is a really good choice to go in at that petal fall application. It's relatively economical and it is uh, a good choice to get some, because there's eggs that are laid, they have to eat the, the dipel and then they die. But if they've already got inside the twigs or inside the shoots, that's it's a it's a non-issue. It's already too late. So getting on preventatively is is, is really good. you get up in the trees, you usually get about five to seven days of residual out of a die application. So that's something to look out for. It's something I've been looking at in the last few years here, and it's been I've been pretty successful with um, targeting that pest at that time of, of petal fall or shortly after petal fall. So we'll see what this weather brings. Hopefully it won't snow and freeze everything and tear everything up. But it might, you know, we never know. Mother Nature, what she's going to throw at us.
3: And because of the uh, prices of almonds and the overall cost of production increasing, some growers might want to scale back on certain applications where they can. But uh, what type of damage could a grower be looking at without taking uh, some kind of preventative approach to uh, manage peach twig borer?
14: Well, they, they damage, you know, anything that's soft tissue. The, the larva will, you know, they'll bore into, they can damage nuts, they can damage the shoots, you know, stifle the growth. Typically, you know, they, they call it peach tree borer because it was very dominant. Back when there was a lot of acres of peaches around, uh, you'd see trees and you could see the uh, the strikes, what we call strikes on the tips of the shoots, uh, whereas the females would lay their eggs and the larva would bore into the into the shoot neat the center of the shootout. In almonds, um, they'll eat, you know, baby nuts. They'll eat the shoots themselves, you know, the, the new shoots that are pushing out after bloom. So they can cause left unchecked, you know, it depends on the population. But if they've got a pretty high population, a lot of egg laying going on, you can see s- pretty significant damage, uh, not only to the twigs or the, the shoots, but to the, uh, the nuts themselves. The newly, You know, they're just baby nuts, so they're soft tissue as well.
1: Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of today's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at Statewide Agriculture News at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
0: Farm employers' labor service compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with FELS posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated, weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net.
1: You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now.
3: In this week's California Chill Hour report brought to you by Dormex, wake up your buds with Dormex. Orchard Systems Advisor for Yolo, Solano, and Sacramento counties, Kat Jarvis joins us again today to talk more about some of the trends in chill accumulation. And now, Kat, you recently gave a presentation highlighting a trend that overall winter temperatures are getting warmer, and that's taking a bit of a toll on some particular crops.
16: Yeah, over the last, well, really 50 years, uh, if you look at the data, especially uh, the last uh, couple of decades, things have been getting warmer in the Central Valley during winters. You know, it hasn't been a uh, record-breaking warm year every year, but the trend, if you zoom out a little bit and look overall, is that it's been getting warmer, and so that has meant often lower chill accumulation in the valley, which is tough for crops with uh, high chill requirements, like walnuts, pistachios, some cherry varieties, and prunes.
3: And now what that means for those years where trees aren't getting much chill, there are several issues that could come up from that. And growers are looking at some tough decisions in those situations, right?
16: Yeah, in low chill years, um, I mean, so far, uh, until recently, we haven't had a lot in the toolbox to deal with them. When we get low chill years, um, that can mean some buds that don't even break on the trees. That can mean some you know buds that come out later or a wider window of bud break which can then often result in having a little bit you know, in a multi-shake year or even having a little bit left in the field even after your second shake that just doesn't warrant circling back to pick up. And so um, at that point, you know, once you get to harvest, you can try to make that a little better, ameliorate that a little bit by using something like Esophon to tighten up your harvest if you're in walnuts which is what I think most about when it comes to dormancy breaking. The repercussions are a little different for pistachios and prunes and cherries. That might mean, uh, you know, coming through for another pick or just leaving some in the field.
3: And one of those you highlighted in your presentation that you described as a sledgehammer for walnuts, that material just recently became available for growers, right? So now there's a viable option out there to help walnut growers when it's been a bad year for chill?
16: That's right. Yeah. So we've been look. we've looked at three different products so far. One is a synthetic plant hormone that just hasn't panned out. So I won't even bother to name it. Um, we've looked at a couple of sources of nitrogen, uh, Erger, which is a nitrogen cocktail, and Can17, which I mean, I guess is also ammonium and uh, nitrate. So it's own sort of nitrogen cocktail. And then hydrogen cyanamide marketed under Dormex. Burger and Moxie are both labeled as fertilizers, so any dormancy-breaking benefit from you get, that you get from them is sort of a side benefit. And then hydrogen cyanamide, um, Dormex was just maybe three weeks ago uh, labeled for walnuts in California, and it's also last year got labeled for pistachios. So um, yeah, if you've been looking at the Dormex label, make sure you get a very up-to-date label from end of January, early February of this year.
3: And information from the UC Davis Chill Calculator shows that as of February 23rd, the Shafter Sima station has logged 70.8 portions under the dynamic model with 1,264 hours below 45 degrees. The station in five points has registered 69.8 portions with 1,293 hours. There's been 1,386 hours in Merced with 74.3 cumulative portions. In Manteca, there have been 1,205 chill hours, equating to 73.9 portions. Finally, the Simis Station in Durham has registered 75.7 portions, with 1,315 hours. And this has been the California Chill Hour Report, brought to you by Dormex. Tune in again next week for another episode.
1: Farmers urged to respond to the prospective planting survey. Two surveys are wrapping up and need the attention of farmers. The Mandatory Census of Agriculture and the Prospective Planting Survey. Lance Honig, Chief of the Crops Branch of USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, says that if you got a USDA Prospective Planting Survey, please respond.
17: We're looking at response somewhere around 60%, uh, give or take a few points either way. So we factored that in to the sampling and the other methodologies that we use uh, to help ensure that these numbers stay as accurate as possible. But again, best thing you can do if you want the numbers to be accurate is fill out those reports and get them back into us.
1: Each response from farmers make the results more accurate and honing ads.
17: Certainly the uh, survey that we do is the basis for these estimates that we publish in both prospective plantings and grain stocks. And so I uh, definitely want to take a moment just to thank all the producers to take time out of their busy days to complete these surveys. This really is a partnership. Uh, we can't do this without the help and assistance of all the producers that we're serving uh, with the data that we publish in these reports. So a big thank you goes out to folks uh, as you take the time to give us that valuable information.
1: For more information and to respond, visit nass.usda.gov. Reporting for Agnet West, I'm Danielle Leal.
3: UC Cooperative Extension is hosting the 2023 California Date Palm Workshop next week in Indio. The workshop will begin at 8 in the morning on March 1st at the Coachella Valley History Museum. The first set of topics that will be discussed include management of insect and mite pests, irrigation tools and technologies to enhance resource use efficiency, and potential pre- and post-emergent herbicides for use in non-bearing date palms. After the morning break, there will be an update from Riverside County Ag Commissioner Ruben Arroyo, followed by an Arizona date palm research update from Professor and Extension Tree Fruit Specialist at the University of Arizona, Glenn Wright. Several presentations from the California Date Commission will round out the workshop prior to lunch. California DPR, Arizona Department of Ag, and CCA Continuing Education credits are pending for the event. More information on the workshop is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. To get more information on the topics
0: you heard today, visit AgnetWest online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Daniel Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.